Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture, edited by Jim Harris, and music by Mike Hall. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Darth Hater Jim lists all the things bad about the movie, while fanboy knight Mike Kenobi, Ben's long-lost cousin, defends the movie. This is Jim with an editor's note. As you might imagine, the raw recording of our discussion about Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, went on for quite a long time. So we decided to split our discussion into three parts. Yes, we're making a trilogy of episodes about the third movie in the third trilogy. In part one, we focused on a list of things that I find good about the movie, including some of its cinematography and nostalgic fan service moments, as well as how neither one of us sees the movie as retconning The Last Jedi. In this episode, Part 2, we will focus on the majority of the list of things that I find bad about this movie. Even though it probably goes without saying, I will say it anyway. If you proceed past this point, you will hear spoilers. (laughs) So without further ado, let's continue our epic discussion about Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. I have a lot of good things, but a lot of my good things are your bad things. (laughs) So I think rather than just kind of going back and forth, I think I'm just going to let you lead where you want it to go, and I will just fight you on everything. Okay, fair enough. So the start of the bad for me, this movie has a very safe and simple plot. And what I mean by that is, this movie has the same fundamental plot as The Return of the Jedi. Obviously, we don't have the rescue Han from Jabba the Hutt's palace. That scene is obviously not replicated. But for the rest of The Return of the Jedi, it's go to Endor, destroy the Death Star, kill the Emperor. And a parallel storyline within that plot framework is resolve the conflict between Luke and Vader. In this movie... It's go to Exegol, destroy the Death Star destroyers, kill the Emperor, and the parallel storyline that's within that plot framework, resolve the conflict between New Luke and New Vader, because Rey is basically both New Luke and New Anakin, we'll get into that later, and Kylo is New Vader. Also, the have a talk with your Force Ghost former Jedi Master about your mixed feelings about facing your family and possibly having to kill them, which is also done 
with Ray and old Luke knew Obi-Wan. It plays out differently, but the story framework and the plot of this movie is basically just a remake of Return of the Jedi. J.J. did it again! He remade A New Hope with The Force Awakens, and this is just a remake of The Return of the Jedi, which is just the safest and most simple way to go. And that's one of the most disappointing things about the story for me. But I will fight back on simply that, at least the way I've always understood it and what I understood, the whole point of George Lucas's creating this, one of the main things he wanted to push and show is how circular history is and how everything repeats. It's going to be slightly different, but it's basically the same thing between father and son. You know, the son follows in the father's footsteps and has a similar path a lot of times. And kind of the same thing. History just kind of repeats itself over and over. And if you look at Star Wars in general, throughout the thousands of years, it's pretty circular. It's a lot of the same things happening in just slightly different ways. This movie is perfect for that. It follows perfectly in the Star Wars universe. I agree that it's that Star Wars is circular or, or cyclical, but you don't have to literally remake the fucking original trilogy to do that. You can have those themes be repeated and be circular and cyclical, but literally remaking the movie with the exact same fucking plot is not necessary. You could break down almost any plot of any movie, simplify it, and most movies are the same, generally speaking, anyway. Yes, that's true, but I mean, it's just annoying how much this is exactly the same. It's just like, Force Awakens is ex almost exactly the same as A New Hope. This movie is almost exactly the same as The Return of the Jedi. I hate, I mean, I hate J.J. Abrams. I think he's a hack. He has the ability to be creative in his own things, but when he steps into someone else's creative space, the only thing he knows how to do is remake. He did the same thing with Star Trek. He and I liked it. You liked it, I'm, but he just, he remade Wrath of Khan. The lack of originality, like, before they told him to shut up, the thing that George Lucas said about The Force Awakens is, what a disappointing lack of originality. There's nothing new here. So even George Lucas, yeah. who would agree with you about cyclical and circular nature of Star Wars stories, was like, how unoriginal. Because even though there were some of those cycles in the prequels, the prequels were a different story than the original trilogy. Yeah, I'll give you that. Right? So there was more creativity there, even though there was still some circular and encyclical patterns. The lack of originality in the sequel trilogy is very disappointing, especially the first and third movies. I guess maybe this is just a different difference in perspective in the way you take things. I don't sit and break things down like that and compare and contrast that much. I'm not looking at a movie going, oh, how does this compare to this movie? I'm looking at it going, did I enjoy this movie? Oh, I wasn't trying to compare this movie. You did. I just did. Well, my point is, this movie also is it's very simplistic. Now, again, yeah. a lot of movies, especially a lot of Star Wars movies, are simplistic. I'm not saying a simple plot is always bad. It's not. But the fact that this movie has such a simple plot, even without comparing it, the other thing that kind of annoys me about this framework is the go to Exegol, destroy the Death Star destroyers, kill the Emperor. Two of those three things have the potential to be interesting. The part that they choose to spend most of the movie on is the go to Exegol part, which is the least interesting of the three things. <laughs> but you have to do that. They didn't need to spend a third of the movie on it. We're gonna but they get, did. 
But they, they did. did have to. No, they, they did have to. Why? Because they had to. The whole thing that that JJ was trying to do with these movies that the Last Jedi failed miserably on was trying to establish this new group of characters as being as close as the original group of characters. But the Last Jedi separated them. They did not have a chance to come together. So they had to spend that time growing that relationship and showing that closeness of them. They had to do that. And to do that, they had to go on some sort of mission to go do something. And if finding your way to Exegol was going to be easy, it wouldn't have been a hidden place. Well, we can come back to the the fact that it's not very hidden later. It is. It is not. It is the most reachable, unreachable it place not. in the game. It, it, we'll get that. We'll get there. We'll get to that later. But I agree with what you're saying. Like one of the the things I disliked about one of the big things I like disliked about the Last Jedi is it's a waste of screen time, but it's also a waste of screen time with separated characters. Right. We send Finn and Rose on a mission together, and it's like I hate. We're going to talk about the MacGuffin scavenger hunt, which is what I call the find the way to Exegol thing. The best part about it is what you just said: the gangs all together, and that's what the whole thing was about. And I, and I agree, but like, they could have come up with a better way to have the gang all be yeah. together. And I think that, to me, again, that comes back to a combination of the failing of The Last Jedi and the fact that they lost a year of writing. They should have pushed that. Yeah. Yeah, they they should have pushed, pushed this back. They yes. should have pushed it back another two years. At least six months. They should have taken more time. Yeah, for people, sure. People, I mean, people would have, I would have waited. And I don't yeah. think that most people would have been willing to wait. Yeah, we've talked off mic about this before that any movie, not just Star Wars, setting a release date is stupid. Right. Take the time you need to take. Yep. And if you need more time, take it. And we've also talked about off mic that sometimes people just automatically think that if you take more time, that must mean the movie's going to be bad. Why not think the opposite? I always think the opposite. Yeah, take the time to get it right. Unfortunately, you can also point out examples where taking more time didn't help. But we don't know. We don't know, but you can't help but wonder if... Disney freaked out about the, the split fan reaction to The Last Jedi, and that's why they changed directors, or at least was a contributing factor. But yeah, take the extra fucking time yeah, and to make the movie. I, I, I don't know. Would it have been better? I can't imagine it would have been worse. <laughs> well, I'm going to go with where you, were, where you were heading that you didn't want to mention it. Justice League, I'm sure, is where you were kind of going with that, where they pushed it back. They, they redid it. They took the extra time. But we don't know if it made it better or worse. Yes, exactly. All we know is most people didn't like it. Yes. So we have yet to see the Snyder Cut as of this recording. Right. So we don't know if it made it better or worse. For me, it's like, again, safe and simple plot. I, I think for me, and I'll, I'll come back to some of these points later through, is like, forget Star Wars. I just think that this is a bad movie. There's a lot of what I consider to be lazy writing and bad storytelling that I would rip any movie apart for. Yeah. Regardless of it, whether it's Star Wars or not. But I, I'll keep coming back to the fact that I don't like the story of this movie at all. So here's something that if I start going down that path of is this story too simple, I come back to it's a mantra that I have with anything Star Wars. Star Wars is a family movie or series geared towards kids that adults can enjoy. If this was a much more complex storyline, it would be more interesting for adults and critics, but you'd lose the kids. Oh, no, I agree. And I'm not trying to argue that if it was complex, it would be better. No, I'm just disappointed that they didn't try to do more with it. 
Because you can even make it a little bit more complex and it can still be for kids. Possibly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, again, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the points. But, yeah, I, I just wanted more from this movie. Or at least have it spend more of its time on its story. The thing, again, that the most complete part of this movie is the MacGuffin scavenger hunt that we'll get to. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's where we're going to spend all of our time with a lot of extra detail and a lot of time is other things. Like the next thing on my list is one of the examples of a thing that it didn't need to be complicated, but I wish they had spent some time on it. Palpatine's back. But don't ask or think about it because we don't explain it. <laughs> See, I don't think it needed an explanation. I thought it was very obvious. What's your very obvious explanation? That is his body being animated by his force essence. So his body survived the Return yeah, of the Jedi? Barely. Like, it's basically a corpse. So if you look at it, if you actually pay attention to the apparatus he's hooked on, there's a feeding tube mm-hmm. that's there. I mean, there's it's, it's basically just keeping this corpse functional for his force essence. That's why it's all falling apart. That's why he's all glassy-eyed and everything like that. It's basically a corpse that is kept alive mechanically. So... How did he survive the Death Star blowing up? Why do you need to know? How did he get to Exegol? His cult followers found him and took him there. How? The Force. How? Because there's only two Sith Wayfinders in the entire galaxy, and you can't get to Exegol without a Wayfinder. You can't if you know the way. How do you know the way? He knows the way. That's where his base is. (laughs) I wanted some, again, the the whole idea that he created Snotes. And there's an implication. We see a vat of, I guess, Snoke clones. Mm-hmm. So what did that mean? Was he Snoke? Was he mind controlling Snoke? What? Yeah, he created Snoke and was controlling Snoke, telling him what to say and what to do. Again, I thought that was very obvious. To me, I would have wanted a little bit more of an explanation there. Again, because again, he did say, "I've died before." So it's not saying that he didn't die. So apparently he did die or partially die. That's or what I'm saying. Like, it's basically a corpse that he's still inhabiting. For 30 years, hanging on a hanger with feeding tubes connected to it. Yeah, trying to set things up to be able to find another worthy host body to go into. So he had no worthy host because he tries to get Rey to kill him so he can possess her body. Right. So there's the ability to do some type of essence transfer, but for 30 years, you couldn't find a good so, candidate. Well, I guess, again, they didn't don't really talk about it in the movies, but that was the whole idea of why he wanted Anakin to begin with, as he wanted to take Anakin's body, because that was the idea of how because he had said that he was taught by his master how to live forever. And the idea was you transfer your essence from body to body. That's never been in the movies. It's never been in the movies, but it's something that I just knew, I guess. It's been in non-canon material. I mean, that's how he survived. And that's also why he wanted Luke, because once Anakin's body was messed up, that was no longer really a viable body. Mm -hmm. And if you look in, uh, I guess it's it's in the comic books and stuff, he's constantly bringing in other fourth users to challenge Vader to find one that, that can match his power as a thought to take over that body. I guess in my head and how I've always understood the storyline is that's always been the Emperor's plan was to keep finding the most force powerful or force sensitive people and just keep transferring his essence from body to body. And so that's what he was doing here was was waiting. And that's why when Ray gets there, he's like, I've been waiting for a long time for this. I don't remember what he says. Something like that. Long have I waited. Yeah, that's right. He talks all Yoda. (laughs) 
for my granddaughter to return. But my whole point is like, yeah, I agree with what you're saying, but in the movies, it was never explained. In right. non-canon books, that concept of essence transfer has been explained. So, I mean, throw me a little bit of a bone. I don't, I don't mean like dedicate a half hour of the movie to it. No, two or three minutes. Give me a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, I understand that. But to me, it didn't. I'm, I'm just saying that from my perspective, it didn't bother me at all because I felt like it was obvious. But that was to me based off what I already knew. And again, I guess presumptions. I tend to, instead of, when I'm watching a movie like this, instead of looking for why doesn't it make sense, I'm looking for, okay, how can it make sense? I, I want to enjoy it. I don't want to hate it. I didn't, I'm not trying to hate it. I mean, Are you sure? You hated it before you saw it. I hated it before I saw it, but like we've, I've said in, previously on the podcast, I'm apathetic to the whole sequel trilogy. Like I've said before, I just view everything after Return of the Jedi as being non-canon, and I view this sequel as being Star Wars Legends novels that I read that I didn't like. So again, for me, it was just, how does that... I don't like the term retcon, but it makes me think about the Return of the Jedi. So they didn't really defeat Palpatine. They just put him on a coat hanger for 30 years. Well, just like they didn't really defeat the Empire either. Exactly, back. exactly. So it, it really makes like the victory of the Return of the Jedi feel very hollow. But for me, it makes the threat of the Sith deeper and the threat of the Empire deeper. Because if you look at throughout the entire series, including the prequels, even when they win, they still lose. Because Palpatine, the overall bad in all of this, had planned things in such a way that even if he lost, he still won. Yes. He is that sinister. He had things planned out that well. I can't think of the word I wanted to use off the top of my head again. Diabolical? Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> but he, he just, he, he has the plan and he's he thinks of all the contingencies and he knows, okay, if these are the things that could happen, if this happens, this is what I'll do. If this happens, this is what I'll do. He is slow. He is patient. He takes his time. And I think this movie and that fits in that world in that way and why this movie works for me because it shows he's been sitting back in the darkness for, what, 30 years? 30 years. 30 years again, just plotting and planning and figuring out how he's going to come back. Oh, no, I completely agree. I, I like the idea that Palpatine came back because it connects it to the all of the movies. Mm -hmm. It brings the prequels into it. It brings the fact that he is not only the most powerful Sith, but the best strategist that the Star Wars galaxy has ever faced. Mm -hmm. Like his slow play for getting rid of the Jedi and taking over the Republic was just Machiavellian brilliance. Right. And that's largely what the prequels are about. So I don't doubt for a moment that he had a great plan. Well, I'm and just then saying he had that in place. I just would have liked a little bit of right. let him... I don't like the bad guy brags about his plan trope in movies, but give me a little bit of a, yeah, motherfuckers, I was thinking about this all the way since the prequels. I knew shit could happen and I could die. And I put because even in some of the canon in canon novels, that's where the First Order even comes from, that Palpatine had a contingency plan that in the unlikely event that the Empire falls, this is how we actually rebuilt it. Right. So, I mean, I don't doubt for a moment that he had those plans. I just would have liked, again, I a was, couple of minutes. Just give right. me a little no, no. bit more. That's not where I was going with that. I was, okay. I was kicking back on you saying like it takes away from the ending of Return of the Jedi. And to me, it doesn't. It's a, to me, it doesn't take away from the ending of that where everybody thinks, okay, the Empire is completely defeated and the good guys win. 
I think it extends and shows just how deep the threat really was that nobody understood. So it doesn't take away from that movie at all. It just expands it. Agree to disagree. I don't like yeah, it. That's fine. I'm just. But, but yeah, for me, it's like I'm again, not trying to convince you that that's the right way. I'm just saying that's that's my view on it. And and that's perfectly fine. And again, like I said, I, I, it's not like I wanted the movie to revolve around him completely. I, not like I wanted it a bunch of time, but I would have appreciated a few more minutes. Because mm-hmm. the other thing about that whole Exegol thing, not I don't want to jump ahead, but and again, it's not mentioned in the movies, but in the supporting material in the Visual Dictionary, the people that are there, they're called the Sith Eternals. They're the cultists that basically worship the Sith. And they're the ones that are helping keep him alive. Allegedly, I guess they're the ones who built the ships. I would have liked to learn a little bit more about all those other people on Exegol. Yeah. Like who they were and and how they were helping him and how they built all those ships. So a little bit more about the Sith threat. Again, I don't like the term retcon. Is the Sith rule of two kind of fucked with a little bit? Because it makes it, not to jump ahead, but it seems like he, he says he is all of the Sith, which kind of makes it like when... A Sith dies, his essence transfers into the next Sith, and he's like the culmination of all of the Sith, which seems different than what they've told us about the Sith before. But again, that's all speculation on my part. The movie doesn't explain anything. Right. I get what you're saying. And I, I do wish also wish that they had explained more in the movie a little bit more. But I never had any issues with that because they were they were fucking with Rule 2 throughout all the series anyway oh, yeah. the whole time. Oh yeah. And I took it as Again, and I guess also, I've got the background that you don't of video games. Yeah. And they do a lot in the video game. And this movie actually takes a lot from video games. But as part of that, they call it kind of Force Echo, where, where different items and things will have kind of the essence of what happened to it in the past. And that's in some of those Star Wars Legends novels, I've read. Yeah. So to me, when he's saying, I am all the Sith, I think he's so powerful with the Force that he can can connect to all the previous Sith that had existed. Whose force echoes are still with the force. I can buy into that. I guess, I guess the disappointment. But they don't explain it. They don't explain it. Like the prequels that give us more of an explanation of the Jedi. Because like in the original trilogy, we just hear that the Jedi were the guardians of justice. Mm-hmm. But who the hell were they? The prequels show us them. We've never, in any of the movies at least, we've never really got to know yeah. more about the Sith. And the Sith seem to be a pretty big background thing in this movie that right. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more. Maybe not necessarily about Palpatine, but more about the whole That's what I hope go- going forward from here, I think they dive more into the Sith. They explain that a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. This is Jim with an editor's note. A few weeks after we recorded this episode, excerpts from the novelization of The Rise of Skywalker were making their way around the internet and the book itself was published on March 17th. We're aware that the novel adds some additional details to what we see in the movie, helping to add a little bit more of an explanation for things such as Palpatine, his return, his use of cloning, and his quote-unquote son, who is Ray's father. We decided not to record additional commentary on that so that we can let this three-part series focus just on the movie itself, and any supporting materials that were published at the same time that the movie was first released. For instance, we have referenced the Visual Dictionary a few times. At some point in the future, after at least one of us has had a chance to read the novel and decide whether or not it's worth recording some additional commentary regarding the movie, 
different than what ends up in this completed three-part series. So, without further ado, let's get back to our discussion about my things that I think are bad about Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. My next thing, and again, this is just a general movie-making thing. I don't like when any movie does this. The frenetic pace with the ticking clock trope. At the very beginning of this movie, after they get the intel and decipher it from their First Order spy, they find out in 16 hours, the Sith fleet launches from Exegol. So now we have the ticking clock that the rest of the movie is a race against time to give a sense of urgency and explain why the the movie is such a fast pace. It's like, really? I don't like the ticking clock trope in anything. It was kind of stupid in this. Yep, you're a hater. Moving on. I'm not a hater. I mean, and for me, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, why would it, if Palpatine is such a grand strategist, why announce anything until after he's launched all of the ships off of Exegol? They've left. They're all around the galaxy. Too late, motherfuckers. I'm back. You lose. Why give them a fucking clock? 16 hours. If you can beat me, come get me. Yeah, I can argue that. But it's a movie. It's a movie. And again, it's a trope that's used in a lot of movies, and I don't like it. It's entertainment. It's not supposed to be, hey, this is a real life thing and how you would do it. What? This isn't Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not a documentary? No, it's not a documentary. Huh. I may have been wrong all along. (laughs) Okay, so now next up, the thing that I hate the most about this movie, the MacGuffin scavenger hunt, or what I'm calling the MacGuffin scavenger hunt, the Sith dagger and the Sith Wayfinders. Convince me these don't suck. I can't convince you that the dagger doesn't <laughs> suck because I actually don't like the dagger. Uh, the Wayfinders, I, I, I like, though. In order to find your way to Exegol, you have to have something to guide you there because it's, there's no star maps. They don't know it's there because it's difficult to get to. You have to take a specific path. So if it's easy to find, they would have found it by now and this none of this would matter. But once you know the path, you can get there. So I know you're saying it's it's easy to find because all of the other, the fleet and everything get there so easily, but that's because they get the map because Ray gives them the map. Because Ray emailed the GPS directions. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I don't like about the dagger, though, is, oh, it's shaped. So if you hold it up to the remains of the Death Star, it'll point you in the direction. How would they possibly know how the remains of the Death Star are going to be for a long period of time. That was freaking stupid. But what I did like about the dagger is when Ray first picks it up, she goes, a lot of bad things have happened with this. Force echoes. Or again. terrible things. So that yep. she's getting the force echoes. So that that tells you if you're in the into the lore and, and understand that she's got that power. So I, I guess one thing that I find very interesting in this movie about Ray in particular is it's known in the lore side of things that specific Jedi tend to have specific powers, like the force healing, the force skyping, mm-hmm. you know, whatever stuff like yes. that. Yep. Almost never does one Jedi have the ability to do all of them. Correct. Yeah. We haven't dived into it much in the movies, but it's in the, in the comics and the books. A lot of it's all non-canon now, Star Wars legends, but yeah, it's always been well-established in previous, but now non-canon material. Even going back to the prequels in this Clone Wars animated series and Rebels, some of what you're talking about is also there as well. Not everybody has everything. Right. 
But yeah, so I I I like the McGuffin scavenger hunt simply because that's how you establish the relationship between the main characters, and that's the story is their journey. The story isn't the plot line. The story is their journey and how they interact with each other. I agree with that. I mean, th- this, I mean, I hate to compare or contrast it to it, but like one of the many reasons I don't like the Casino Planet side quest in The Last Jedi is because not only is it fucking stupid, but it has just Finn and Rose. Right. So I don't like the MacGuffin scavenger hunt from a storytelling perspective. I enjoy it from the fact that the gang's all together. We have Ray. Finn, Poe, Chewie, 3PO, Lando drops by. The fact that the group, they're all together and they get to do a little bit of witty repartee. The story that they're a part of is stupid, but I lo- but that's why the quest in this movie doesn't bother me as much because they're all together. Yeah. But I still think that the entire thing was stupid. Like the whole idea, again, of if the Sith Wayfinders was so important, why wouldn't the Emperor just have sent someone to go get them so that you couldn't find your way to Exegol? Why? Le- because he wanted them to find their way there. How is he going to get Rey there to trick her there if she can't find her way there? But leaving it, especially, well, again, the whole, like, we'll come back to it later, but, like, how the fucking Death Star is that intact in the first place? And it's basically in his closet on the Death Star. <laughs> It's like, well, then go get it and secure it someplace that you can that he can send Ray to. That's just. The but whole... he doesn't have the connection with Ray. It would have to be Kylo Ren. Well, even the fact, or even the fact that Kylo Ren, oh, the Emperor's on Exegol. I know how to get there. There's a wayfinder on Mustafar. I'll go get it, and it will take me. Yeah, they to... sk- they skim over that Woo! way yeah. too fast. They don't. They have zero explanation to that. But I think that's. When he announced himself, that was, okay, I'm ready for things to fall into place. This will get Kylo Ren to find his way here. That's why the dead speak. That, that's why that happened, was to get Kylo to find his way there. I understand your point that you're trying to make. And I, I again, I wish they had spent more time on it. But yeah. the fact that the one on Mustafar was actually protected. Darth Vader's cultists were protecting it. The one on the Death Star... First, how the hell did that thing is that big of a piece still intact after we saw the thing blow the fuck up in Return of the Jedi? And then it falls through an atmosphere and still remains intact enough, hits an ocean and sits there for 30 years and they can find it. <laughs> Apparently it doesn't rust. Apparently it doesn't rust. But it's like that was just and it's a- ridiculous. And again, where the other Wayfinder was was actually cool. I wish we had spent more time there, but where the second wayfinder is is just stupid. And yeah, yeah. the Sith dagger. It was in a Sith Force Sith Force safe. <laughs> so that's why it was protected. Somebody had pointed this out online, and I, and I think again it's one of those reading between the lines that they were trying to say that those things were bio locked. That the reason that Kylo Ren was able to get Darth Vader's is because it's his grandfather. And the reason that she was able to go get the one out of her granddad's closet is because she's related to him. And but that's like, I took it as connection to Dark Horse. Yeah, it's probably is what more, so, it. more so that. But yeah, because I really felt like that section basically had the same kind of force sensitivity or whatever you want to call it as the cave in Dagobah. Hence the force vision that she had when she was in there. Yeah, the, that was very. Oh, yeah, that was def- definitely Dagobah cave like. Yeah. Yes. But and, yeah, that, and, and that's why it was protected in there was because most people aren't going to survive that encounter or aren't going to be able to take that encounter. 
I could see that. The Sith characters is so stupid to me. It's like, so you find out where the Wayfinder is, so you write it on a dagger in the language of the Sith? <laughs> it's yeah. like, huh? And like you already said, the holding it up to the Death Star right. thing is just stupid. So it's like, And they yeah. just happen to walk up to the exact spot exactly. that it would line up correctly. Yeah, she didn't have to like walk around the perimeter for like a couple of days because right. they didn't have time. Because at that point, again, the 16-hour clock is ticking, which is down to eight hours. When we get to Babu fricking 3PO, we only have eight hours left. So time is ticking away. But yeah, that's, that's just stupid. Yeah, we'll get to that. So now a lot of my, the next series of things I talk to is one again, and this is a general thing that bothers me about all movies. There's a lot of aimless action and excessive exposition throughout the movie. One of the aimless action things for me is the light speed skipping and tracking that the movie starts with. Yeah, it was stupid, but it looked cool. And I was about to say that it's like it's one of those things that happens again in a lot of action movies, not just Star Wars. It looks cool. It makes no fucking sense. It also was like our friend Reese, who guest hosted on the Superman episode, <laughs> really doesn't like the light speed skipping thing. Yeah, he went on epic <laughs> rants on that. <laughs> and there are quite a few people online who agree with him. It's like it really seems to fuck with the entire notion of what we know of hyperspace travel in Star Wars. Yeah. Jumping through from atmosphere to atmosphere is something that they've said is like a no-no. And then even the whole, how were the TIE fighters able to track them? That's the biggest part that actually bothered me was the TIE fighters following them. Because I I guess it's been taken back and and I've been proven wrong over and over again. But in my head, TIE fighters can't go that long of a distance. Old school TIE fighters did not have hyperdrives, which is kind of goes into a, a plot hole later in the movie because that it's implied that that's how Kylo Ren gets to Exegol is he steals a TIE fighter that was left behind on the ruins of that mm-hmm. planet. And it would have and it actually is an old school TIE fighter because they intentionally did a nostalgic fan service of, hey, look, an old X-Wing and an old TIE fighter. Right. The big problem is the old TIE fighters only have ion engines. They don't have hyperdrives. Twin ion engines. Twin ion engines, which is why it's called a TIE fighter. <laughs> but yes, the fact that they... Nerd! Nerd alert! Also, the fact that in The Last Jedi, they made a big deal about hyperspace tracking being a new technology, and it was a massive piece of tech on the Star Destroyer. And in, mm. a, in the span of a year, apparently, they miniaturized it and put it inside TIE fighters. <laughs> But I mean, it must have worked with Japanese. They outsourced it. But I mean, it didn't. Is this bother. so racist if it's complimentary? <laughs> oh, I have other things about how Star Wars is racist coming up later. Oh, boy. But yeah, it bothered me, but it also went by fast. But it was also an example of like aimless action. There were also a lot of just like, let's do chase scenes all throughout the movie. Like, there's basically the equivalent of a car chase scene on Pasana. So there's a lot of this action for the sake of action. And again, this is not just a Star Wars thing. It's like, I don't, I like action to have a purpose. I like it to drive the story and be necessary to the story, not just done for the sake of doing it. And the light speed skipping is the, the easiest example of that. I can agree with that. The other stuff I'm pretty forgiving with because it makes it more fun to watch. This is also your, this almost goes into our arguments about Star Trek. And how you really like Star Trek, even though it is extremely boring and hard to watch, 
because you just like the exposition and the way that it's plotted out. Well, it's not even exposition. It's storytelling. The type of exposition I'm talking about is the tell not show. That's what exposition is, is telling not showing. I want you to show. Star Trek is storytelling. It's not exposition. The exposition... I say Star Trek is just them reading a novel to you no, live action. That's a whole other episode. Yeah, let's we'll not, let's get off on there. that tangent. <laughs> the exposition I'm talking about is the tell not show. Like I said earlier, when, when they find out that Palpatine back and someone says, how's that possible? Oh, cloning and dark secrets that only the Sith know. Don't do that with exposition. Does he say cloning in that? He does. He says cl- he says a couple of things. He says cloning and dark secrets that only the Sith knew. So what? You're the fucking resident Sith expert? But just telling it, having someone like that tell us instead of actually showing us that. Right. There's also other yeah. times like when Poe's like, oh, they have planet killing weapons now. Of course they do. And all the ships must. How the fuck do you know all the ships have it? One ship has it because it blew up a planet. Why do you think all the ships have it? Yeah, I so I mean, there's that. lots of times where they just take a break from the aimless action to explain something with exposition instead of showing it, and that just annoys the crap out of me. The it. only thing I did like about that, at least Poe's description of that, is the fact is like, oh, of course they do. Yes, exactly. The way he delivers it, I think, saved that. Mm-hmm. But again, how do you know? Exactly. I don't disagree with that actually. So some of the other sort of, I guess, related to that, I'll have a few other things about exposition later and in general about action, but kind of going a little bit more into maybe generic plot problems. Flyable old ships bothered me. Why? One, the ship that the Jedi Hunter that was on, that was from the Force Awakens, which is the ship that Rey saw her get dropped off by. So that means that that ship is at least 15 years old? We're not really, the timeline isn't well established because Rey is like around five years old and the Force Awakens when she sees that ship leave her behind. Mm-hmm. And we're not really established when did Luke and Lando go on their adventure together. It had to at least be six years before the Force Awakens because it had to be before the Jedi Academy was destroyed. So that ship was lying there for six to ten years. Didn't get scavenged by anyone that part bothered me and basically is functional enough for them to just fire it up and fly it away see i have zero issue with that because if they have the technology to do all the crap that they're doing in these movies i have zero problem with something sitting there for that long and being flyable well i guess probably more for me is the nobody scavenged it because that part bothered me people scavenge a lot all throughout the yeah. galaxy in the Star Wars movies. So the fact that it and it wasn't like it was hidden, just sitting there on a hill. Right. Well, my <laughs> question on that then, again, the way my thought process, instead of why does this bother me of going, why does this work, is remember who it was that had that ship and what had happened. You know, not only had that, what was that a Sith or a, I guess I don't know if he was fully Sith or not, but he was a Sith. Sith. He was a Sith loyalist Jedi hunter. That's what they called him. Okay, so he was a very bad guy that was doing very bad things, followed by Luke and Lando, and then Lando stayed there. So I don't think he stayed there. I think he went back there because he got the call from Leia and heard that they were going there. Maybe if but, he stayed there, is fucking stupid. <laughs> But I'm I mean, sorry, with, with that with that large crawler that he had, and he seemed to have a really good relationship, I felt like he stayed there. Like, he was trying okay. to continue to look okay. completely lost. But I'm wondering if maybe, because he even says it's in this area that had kind of a creepy name. I don't remember the name of it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wonder if 
that whole area was kind of like a hey this is a bad area you want to stay away from that area type situation and the fact- that's why it wasn't scavenged because people are scared to go over there and i guess the sinking sand that they fell into so right. maybe people tried to go scavenge it but there were other ways to walk to it because the Knights of Ren walked to it when they captured Chewie. So it wasn't like the Sinking Sands was the only way to get there. But yeah, the, the fact that it was still, that it didn't get salvaged and was still flyable. Right. The other flyable old ship I have a problem with is Luke's X-Wing. Millennium Falcon? No, no. <laughs> it's a flyable old ship that they fix. That's fine. But Luke's X-Wing, again, sitting in the water for at least six years, fully submerged, and... If it was flyable, for one thing, then why didn't he use it in The Last Jedi to fly to crates? But I'm going to let that go. And maybe if they had at least tried to say he took the ship out of the water knowing that Ray was coming and he had his little gang of Jedi helpers there on that planet fix the ship for her in anticipation. But it just being pulled out of the water and being functional bothered me. Okay. I do actually want to hit on that. Why okay. didn't he just? Why didn't he pull it out and fly to crate? Okay, because he would have been dead in thirty seconds. <laughs> yes, and it would have been pointless. <laughs> oh yeah. So that's why he didn't fly it to. Crate. But part of his whole thing is like he went there to die, and he basically put his ship in the ocean because he wanted to remove his ability to leave the planet in part. And yeah, even I don't the, know if that's it. I, well, they, also they, in the Last Jedi, other people have pointed out like. Parts of the X-Wing were actually part of his hut in The Last Jedi as well. So it looked like he had salvaged some of his ship parts to make his dwelling. But even if they... Someone pointed it out. I I hate The Last Jedi. I'm not going to watch it again to look for that detail. I will now. Now you will. Again, it's not like it breaks the movie for me, but it just annoyed me. Because again, it was fan service nostalgia. He pulls the ship out of the water because it's a callback to Empire Strikes Back. I did kind of like the fact that she's Red 5, but still it was a little Mm -hmm. bit too nostalgic. And it just annoyed me a little bit that both of those ships were flyable. Moving on to the the (laughs) other thing that is fixed or fixable. The fucking repaired lightsaber. They just ignore it. They could have repaired it, but the fact that they didn't even like acknowledge the fact that in The Last Jedi, they fucking violently forced Tug of War rip apart the lightsaber. And yes, at the end of The Last Jedi, she's holding the broken pieces and the Kyber crystal in her hand. So she does have it. Mm-hmm. And she could put it back together, but they kind of like gloss over that completely. And hey, the lightsaber is fixed. Uh, again, I think if they would have said something or done something, that would have been like, why did you spend the time of doing that? It was pointless. Well, my my thing is the lightsaber she was building at the end of the movie seemed fucking cool. Mm-hmm. So I would have liked to have seen her complete her Jedi training and make her own lightsaber because the lightsaber at the end of the movie looked fucking cool. I would have rather seen her use that lightsaber. Yeah, I, I don't of dis- using the old lightsaber. I do not disagree, actually. I got no problem with it being repaired, but I I do agree that I would have wanted to see more about it because in the movies they never they've never really dealt with creating the lightsaber. Right, it's been in, in the animated the shows, but it's in been, the live yeah, action movies now, it, it's a big thing everywhere yes. else. But it's never been in any of the movies, so I, I agree. I would have wanted to see that see that more, but more so, like you said, in creating her own, not so much in fixing that one. Other sort of plot problems in general that I have. The fucking Knights of Ren. How fucking disappointing were they? Very. They were built up <laughs> over the first two movies as some, like, badass thing. 
And they were fucking a waste of screen time. Yeah, they were just creepy stalkers. They didn't really do anything. They didn't even have, like, and they just had, like, they look like Ren, Ren Fair rejects. They didn't even boom, boom. The Knights yeah. of Ren Fair. The Knights of the Ren Fair. Dun, da, da. But I mean, they, they just had, like, didn't even have lightsabers or anything. They just had, like, weird, like, you know, medieval weapons and stuff. And all they basically did was pose with them. <laughs> right. Like, aren't we menacing figures? You are scared of us. Yes. And then they get their ass, they were getting their ass kicked even before Ben Solo gets his, gets a lightsaber. He was kicking their ass. That's how unimpressive. <laughs> well, so, he started kicking their ass. They were, they were winning. They were winning. But yeah. But yeah, it, it was unimpressed because it was also a little bit misleading. I think it's been clarified in some of the supporting material is I think I misunderstood a line in the, in the Force Awakens that I thought that the Knights, some of them were Luke's other former students. Right. Yeah, I thought that too. And then uh, when I went back and looked it up, the Knights of Ren actually existed b- way before that. Right. He just kind of took lead of yes. the Knights of Ren that already existed. I believe that's where Kylo Ren came from was becoming a Knight of Ren. Yeah, because the knights in the I think in the the Kylo comics they've shown that Luke and Ben had run-ins with the Knights of Ren before the Jedi Academy mm-hmm. burned down. So yeah, he just took over the Knights of Ren. There's no explanation on that. There's no explanation on that either. It seems like I mean he's called Kylo Ren, and they completely miss out on the opportunity to have a fight between Chewie and a couple of the Knights of Ren. That would have been pretty cool. That would have been awesome. Yeah, Chewie just gets pretty lamely captured off screen. Chewie's yeah. freaking badass. He could have, I mean, he easily could have kicked the freaking Knights of Ren's ass. So I would have liked At least a couple seen, of them. At least a couple of them. So yeah, they were very disappointing. Yeah. In general, my, my problems with the plot is the movie leaves a lot of unanswered questions, including questions that it itself asks. I've already said enough about me wanting more of an explanation of Palpatine, but like even like other things like Leia knew Ray was a Palpatine? Okay. Really? (laughs) How? And how? I I agree with how did she know. I'm fine with her knowing, but how did she know is... I'm fine with her knowing because it could, again, just be another lack of originality throwback. It's kind of like how Obi-Wan and Yoda knew that Darth Vader was actually Luke's father, but they didn't want to tell him because they were afraid that he might not do the right thing. So maybe they knew that she was mm-hmm. Palpatine's granddaughter and they didn't want to tell her because then maybe she wouldn't be their Palpatine killer. But it was just weird that like stuff like that just gets dropped and like, could you spend another 30 seconds on that? <laughs> but in the original trilogy, we didn't know how Obi-Wan knew that Darth Vader was Luke's father. Right. So I, I, a lot of it is it is unfair sometimes to criticize the unanswered questions because the prequels answer a lot of the unanswered questions of the original mm-hmm. trilogy. But this movie, it just seems like it went out of its way to ask new questions and leave them unanswered, as well as not answering other questions. <laughs> so it's just like, Nyeh! so it's just like that was this kind of For a movie that was supposed to wrap everything up. It left a lot open. That was the thing. Yeah. And again, I, I had said off mic that every time J.J. Abrams talks about the movie, he does himself no good because he has said, oh, I thought that was a good thing to leave things unanswered. I wanted it to be open ended. So it's open to interpretation. It's the fucking last movie of the trilogy and the saga wraps some stuff up. Can I agree with both? If you want to. Because I agree with JJ. In my opinion, that's actually what 
made the original trilogy so great is all those unanswered questions created so much conversation about it. Right. And it that... made the repeated watching. So I agree with him on that. But I also agree that having things wrapped up but not wrapped up, knowing that they're never going to be able to explore it hurts. I want to know. And unless they somehow can and fix it, I don't know. Well, even that annoys me. It's like, even if it's explained in like books and comics and TV shows, it's like, why didn't the movies explain it? It's like, I don't need a full explanation, but a little bit more. Were there other unanswered questions other than the ones that we just mentioned that bothered you about things you thought they should have explained or? No, because things don't really bother me that much. I okay, like, to, like, like things like, just kind of brush off, but yeah. Like some of the other things that bothered me were like the... They're not called this, but I call the, a lot of people call them the Death Star Destroyers. The Death Stars, they have yeah. the, the big dick gun, basically. <laughs> Underneath them, they can destroy a planet. Can't what? believe you had the balls to say that. <laughs> and I, I believe they're neutered. I don't, I don't think they had oh. testicles. They just had the, the dick. Apparently you have them all. <laughs> Maybe that's how the Resistance actually won. They cut the balls off of all of the, <laughs> of the destroyers. <laughs> well, now that we are uh, R-rated completely. Actually, you know what? It would have been funny if there were like two Death Star-sized balls. <laughs> <laughs> not size, but just like mimicking. Mimicking shapes, not yeah. size. Yeah. <laughs> and and as, it, as it's powering up, they glow. Well, if they were death size shaped, it would be like the size of Palpatine's prostate. So that might have been funny. I'm going off on a really weird tangent. Oh, Sorry about man, that. man, that's... But what I was trying to say was they don't explain that technology. In The Last Jedi, they do, they do explain that battering ram cannon uses Death Star Technology, tech. yeah. What makes the Death Star Destroyer's guns so much better than a regular gun? Efficiency. <laughs> I don't know. You got me really on a tangent with that. I'm I'm actually picturing it and how like they would like slowly glow as it powers up and Yeah. It's hilarious in my head right now. I can't wait for Family Guy to do that. I'm about to say, Family Guy, when they get around to doing the Star Wars spoof, they gotta put balls on the on oh, those destroyers. Man. They have to. <laughs> Especially with their whole don't get penisy kid. They got to put testicles on the Death Star cannons. And some of the other ones. I'm sorry, already... Mom. <laughs> we said that Star Wars is for children. This episode is not. So... I should have said that at the beginning. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did we not mention spoilers? <laughs> spoilers and balls. <laughs> Proceed. And I already mentioned some of the other ones that I wanted more, like the Sith Eternals and more about who those people were and because yeah. and, it seemed to be important. And the, the apes that were fixing Kylo Ren's helmet, who were they? Where did they come from? I, I thought it was like a Marvel or, or something. He went to the, the planet of the apes planet. <laughs> Somehow. I don't know. Well, I, I don't Some remember, multiverse thing. I don't remember what planet it was, but I, I do know that those were like the, the Sith assistants and like technology people were ape-like. Oh, okay. But I don't remember where that comes from or even what planet that's on. I I wanted to say that was Mustafar, but I don't know. Some of the other unanswered questions that we had briefly touched upon, but... And I go, this is an unfair one to say because The Return of the Jedi ends just as open-ended and unexplained as well. What's going to happen? Did Is the New Republic coming back? Is Rey going to train another generation well, of Jedi? Wait, the, the New Republic was never gone. 
the Hawthorne system, the capital of the New Republic, was destroyed, which sent the galaxy into disarray. But I mean, what's going to happen after they stop the First Order? Are they going to just be the New Republic again? Because the White House gets blown up by aliens doesn't mean that the United States no longer exists. Yes, that's a whole other that's a whole other Jimmy sode that I'm going to do about a, a minor thing that only bothers me about the resistance and the Republic. But that's not the point I was trying to make. But that is part of what I'm going to be saying in that Jimmy sode. But my point is, and again, the Return of the Jedi ends the same way. It's like, what happens next? Right. Uh, but it seems like this movie ends even more open-ended. Well, so here's here's one thing. The way that Return of the Jedi ended was the Death Star, one base blew up. That doesn't get rid of the entire empire. That just took out the leaders. Right. So that that's where I was. And that's even even if when I went back and was thinking about that, I'm like, well, yeah, it's all fine and dandy that you defeated the emperor. But what about all the other people that were part of the empire? So that became the First Order. Well, no, yeah, Robot Chicken actually made fun of that long before yeah. the sequel trilogy came out. It's like, you didn't really defeat the Empire, you blew up one base. But in, but this, that's case, all- but in this case, everybody that was part of the First Order was, was there on Exegol on those ships. No, that was the final order. That was the Sith fleet. The First Order was in right, other but parts it was, of the galaxy. But the First Order went there to run those ships. Did they show that? I don't remember that. No, because Palpatine gave Kylo Ren, who had, was the First Order, led the First Order, he's like, here's a fleet to take over. So yeah. all the people that were running those ships were First Order. Oh, I didn't really read into that. I, I was wondering who was on those ships. Yeah, we was, never, it, it was other than order. Kylo Ren and one of the things that bothered me, like uh, Allegiant General Pride said, oh, come to Exegol. I'll give you a ship that you can go use. Okay. Not only the fact that he doesn't have a, a Sith Wayfinder, but it's like, yeah, I never really thought about, like, I thought that there were the Sith people on Exegol were on those ships. I didn't think the First Order. No, because they, they even show bridges on a few of them as First Order people. On the command ship where Pride was, yeah. Yeah, but they show a couple of the other ships, too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. But, I mean, I mean. Unless I'm mistaken, but I thought it was. Well, there's an awful lot of ships. And, again, maybe this is happened off screen. I mean, so other than Pride coming there, I didn't see other any other people right. going right. to Exegol. Uh, yeah, I guess the question in there also is, is it all First Order people or is it a mix of people from that planet? Like First Order was taking command of the ships. I don't know for sure, but I took it definitely as, yeah, all these ships were handed to the First Order. So the First Order is going to transfer to those ships. Why would they stay on the old Star Destroyers when they've got these new giant penis ones? Well, I thought they also showed briefly at the end of the movie that there were fights in other parts of the galaxy where the regular First Order ships were being defeated. Like, we see one of the regular... Oh, yeah, they do that. One of the regular First Order destroyers falls past Bespin, Cloud City on Bespin, and it blows up in the sky above the forest moon of Endor so That's we can see point. Wicked and his son. So, but again, none of that gets explained. We got a couple of brief images. We don't even get an exposition done and for how, those. And how is that done if all the ships are on Exegol? Yes, who blew those ships up? <laughs> That's what I mean. It's like it just it's like I would like I don't need a lot of explanation, but a little bit more to show what happened. Because that was like, All right, here's what happened. <laughs> the resistance fleet took out all of the the penis y star destroyers on Exegol, and then they just went from system to system as a group and took out all the remaining star destroyers. Okay. In a coordinated effort to get rid of all of the first order, final order throughout the entire galaxy. But they didn't do that before, but waited until that end of that movie. Because <laughs> they weren't together before. Now they're together. That's so, what happened. Okay. I have spoken. 
Mike says that this is the way that the movie ended. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, stuff like that just bothered me in terms of it not wrapping things yeah. up. I wish they, had, they spent more time on it. Yeah, um, but in fairness, like you had said, in The Return of the Jedi, that didn't end the battle. That was one of the other things that bothered me a bit. Because even in the new canon material, they did establish that, you know, the war, they blew up the Death Star, but the war ended five years later at the Battle of Jakku, where the Revenant Mm -hmm. then went into hiding to create the First Order. But they have Finn say, oh, we have to go to Endor, where the last war ended? No, the last war ended on Jakku. The last war did not end on Endor. So I was a little bit annoyed. Almost like you had writers that don't know the source material. Exactly. Well, because that was the other thing that also annoyed me. For some weird reason, they had another First Order Star Destroyer fall on Jakku on top of the one that already fell on Jakku. There's a lot of this weird images at the end of the movie. It's like, what the fuck's going on? But it looked cool. Again, looked cool, made no sense. So let's move on to my next thing. And again... This is going to sound weird because, again, I'm not saying that this ruins the movie at all, but I didn't like a lot of the new characters. I thought it was unnecessary to introduce new characters and spend time with them, especially since most of them didn't really contribute anything meaningful to the story for me. To me. So the first of this is Zori Bliss. Loved her. I love Carrie Russell. Oh, that's a whole nother episode. But let's say she's a she's a fantastic actress and a beautiful woman. But her character to me was unnecessary. Quick side tangent. She was on Armchair Expert. Yes. I knew nothing about her because I don't think I've ever seen her in anything. I love her personality as well, at least on that episode. She's a fantastic person. She's an incredible actress. It's another J.J. Abrams stunt casting because she was the star of Felicity, which was one of J.J. Abrams' first successful television shows. So he put her in the movie because he loves to cast his favorite actors in the movie. It annoyed me that, that we don't... That makes sense. It makes sense, but it's like, she's a beautiful woman. We don't get to see her face. Okay. We see more of her face than 90% of the cameos that are in this movie. That's true. But she has more than... She's not like John Williams and Kevin Smith. It's not just a cameo. She has a full role and she has dialogue. Right. But I didn't like her character because it's like, for one thing, she's there to give additional backstory to Poe. Yeah, I felt it, like we needed that. Why? Because Poe was a one-dimensional side character at this point. In the movies. In the movies. There is a massive amount of canon material, comics, a book, Star Wars Resistance, that gives a fuck ton of backstory to Poe. So here it's okay to have the backstory be in other sources and not in the movies, but in other areas it's not okay. I do not need to be logically consistent. (laughs) This movie is not logically consistent, so why should I have to be? See, I I haven't seen it any of the backstories of Poe anywhere else. So to me, Poe, I'm like, why is this an important character? Poe is nothing to me in these movies. But that character brought depth to Poe's character and made me actually care more about the Poe Why did he need depth? Because he's one of the main characters. The trilogy's over. The saga's over. Why do we need more character development now? Because we didn't get it before, because other movies failed. Other movies failed, but in the, in, the, in the other material, he has a heroic backstory. His parents were heroes well, of... We don't know that in the movies. Not in the movies, but it's canon material. I'm not making stuff up. It, it's, in the, it's in comics and books 
in an animated TV show that all of that stuff is there. He has a heroic backstory. His parents knew Han, Luke, and Leia. They were heroes of the rebellion. He was their son. He went to the New Republic Academy, joined the Navy, was their best pilot, and then left to join the Resistance because Leia asked him to. He has this great heroic backstory. Making him a criminal drug smuggler? What the fuck was the point? Spice runner. That's what spice is in Star Wars. It's drugs. He's a drug runner. One person online argued, are they trying to make him the new Han Solo? He has a criminal backstory. That's what he was in the back? beginning. No, he was a hotshot pilot. He wasn't the new Han Solo. Oh, that's, pilot. I argue that I... I... Fighter pilot thought he was specificly supposed to be the Han replacement in this group but, at the very beginning. <laughs> well, if you, knew, you if you knew that from the beginning, then why do we need this scene in this movie? If you already because knew, it gives depth to the character. I thought it was pointless to the character. And the other thing I don't like about Zori Bliss is that the ridiculously fast 180. We meet her holding a gun to his head saying, I should kill you for showing your face here again. To 30 seconds later, here's this captain's medallion that is basically the key to my entire future, which is also another MacGuffin. Here, you take it and leave. I won't go with you. Have I you? hate you. I love you. I don't love you. I'm useless to this movie. Have you ever met a woman? I have. <laughs> but Especially it, a woman that was that loves somebody and has been wronged or, or, or abandoned by that person. But why? Why do we... If she was supposed to be the romantic element, at the end of the movie, he gives her a come-hither look and she says no. So, like, why? It, to me, it's like... It, I'm not saying it ruins the movie. It, it's not bad. It's just like it was unnecessary. Again, I, I think it gave depth to a character that had no depth. I a think main had, character that had no depth. I don't think he needed any depth. Anyway, I also feel like I should call myself out. And earlier I was talking about things that I knew from other sources. I'm about to say, yeah, you're <laughs> criticizing me for using other sources. But you criticized me for using other sources, so I had to call out that. <laughs> but yeah, I can't, I can't let myself say that without calling myself out on that as well. Okay, I know you're going to agree with me on this one. Babu Frick. What a piece of shit. <laughs> I, uh, I I understand, as we've said in our Mandalorian episode, I understand why people think Baby Yoda is cute. I have no idea why people think Babu Frick is cute. It's the same reason they think pugs are cute. The ugly little things are apparently also cute because they're ugly little things. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I thought that character... And this is... I like Jar Jar. No! I like Ewoks. I hated Babu Frick. I know it was just put there as a... Uh, this wacky little cute character for the kids but good lord pick a language yes why he, why is he able to speak english sometimes and not other times and why could the the protocol droid not translate <laughs> he's speaking a different language and 3po doesn't translate for him zori bliss does but yeah then he just says you know what i think i'll just start speaking english because it's annoying for someone to have to translate for me <laughs> I can't even, I'm trying to put words together and I can't. Just annoys me. Like, it's just annoying. Like for me, like, again, it's a part of the MacGuffin scavenger hunt and it's the translation of the Sith dagger, which I thought was stupid anyway. For me, it's just like, you know what? Let Lando do that. You ran into Lando, go to Bespin, go to Cloud City on Bespin, let Lando's like android. I was just about to say that. Android wrap around the head guy i can't I'm, I'm i'm actually mad at myself for not remembering the name of that character i've never remembered the name of that character go to that guy let him be the one that messes with 3po's memory let 3po go Ooh, the last time i was here i was blown to pieces 
Let him like fall over when his memory gets reset and his leg falls off and then Chewie has to fucking carry him again. Just go all in on the fucking stupid fan service nostalgia and give us a little bit more time with Lando and, and skip the whole Zori Bliss, Babu Frick thing. Not to mention the fact that... The, I don't uh, want more Lando. Sorry. I know you don't. I, I love Billy D. Williams. I think he's great. But the other thing I didn't like about the whole captain's medallion part that she's tied up into is like, oh, we got to go do the New Hope rescue a prisoner and get the Millennium Falcon back from the Star Destroyer that's not the Death Star thing. So, Because with this medallion, you can land on any ship. Well, that's a convenient way for us to get onto the destroyer where, where Chewie's been captured and which they also towed the Millennium Falcon to conveniently so that they could both get Chewie back and also steal the Falcon back. It was a long way around to go for that for an unnecessary piece of nostalgia for yeah. me. And again, I didn't like that whole yeah. part of the movie. Wow, that was a lot out of Babu Frick. <laughs> Sorry, Plus and Babu Frick. Okay, moving on to another one that probably... Hold on, will... hold on, hold on. I, I think I figured out what, what it is about Babu Frick that I don't like. Oh, okay, good. good. I, I akin it to, like, on a weekend, you, you, you're trying to sleep in a little bit. You got, like, an hour left that you can sleep, and sun's starting to kind of peek in and bother you a little bit, and then you get this bird that lands right outside your window, chirping nonstop. And you're like, I just want that 45 minutes of sleep. Just shut the hell up so I can sleep. That's what Babu Frick felt like to me. Are we freaking done? I'm freaking done. Okay. Next up, another new character I didn't like. Again, it's not that I don't like her, but I found her unnecessary. Jaina. I liked it. I didn't like Jaina because of a couple of levels. I'm not a huge fan of Finn. I thought he was incredibly integral to the plot of The Force Awakens. But after that, he probably could have gone away. In fact... I find it funny that the trilogy keeps trying to kill him. They tried to kill him at the end of Force Awakens with a lightsaber. They tried to kill him at the end of Last Jedi with a Death Star cannon. So he's been a less interesting character to me in general. But the Jaina story of finding out that other stormtroopers defected, it makes Finn less unique. That it's not special that he was brave enough to defect well the fact that i never found him that special to start with i think i was okay with that the only thing i didn't like is that they focus so much on Jana and they don't really say anything or have any of the other ones that defected say anything yeah there's an entire squad which yeah. we don't even meet the other thing that i, I would have liked them to say that they were inspired by him or, or just yeah, something, yeah, like something like that. Yeah, we heard that there was a, a stormtrooper who defected and that inspired us. Like, or something like, like that. even like because she acts kind of surprised when he says FN two one eight seven or whatever yeah. it is. Hey, yes, did I get it right? You did. <laughs> <laughs> and she acted kind of surprised. Just one little like your FN two what five fucking two one eight seven. Yeah, like that should have been like oh you're famous or something like that. Yeah, but yeah, no. Yeah. Plus, they could have done the whole force sensitivity, the force influenced them without even using her character. The other thing about her character that bothers me, and this is where I was coming back to my Star Wars is kind of racist thing. When I was seeing the, the posters and the promotional material for Rise of Skywalker, and I saw her picture, I had no idea who she was. Mm -hmm. And I also saw that Lando was back. I actually joked with one of our friends and said, you know what? I'm like, I bet that that's Lando's daughter. Because all the black people in the galaxy not only know each other, but they're related. And they're probably even going to make, like, Finn his son to go full on I was on just racist. about to say, are they brothers or <laughs> But the weird thing is that in the movie, they don't establish it. Because there's, like, a weird, creepy scene at the end. It's like, why are the two black people talking to each other? Is this also racist? 
And is Lando hitting on a girl that's like 60 years younger than him? Yes. He is. But the Because suppo- he would. Because he, he would. But the supporting material, the visual dictionary flat out says, Lando lost a daughter, and in part why he was with Luke on Pasana was he was searching for his lost daughter. And oh yeah, that's his lost daughter. Well, first off, it would have been nice if that was actually in the movie, but it's like, holy shit, my racist joke was true. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the other thing is like, wow, that's really bad. (laughs) Again, I I like the character. I actually like the character was in it. That did bother me a little bit as well. But again, I just look past it. Plus, I also blame her for one of the other things I don't like. Space horses! God, you're a douche. What's wrong with the space horses? Oh my god, the space horses weren't a problem on that planet, but riding the space horses along the deck of the Star Destroyer was fucking stupid. The only thing stupid about that is how come the people running that didn't just turn it sideways? Well, to say, there's a 45 degree angle and everyone falls off. Which actually gets into... (laughs) I don't think you have it anywhere, so I'm actually going to bring it up. The plot problems for me... And I joked about this in the theater when we saw it. You didn't catch what I meant by it. This bothers me so much. They destroy that Star Destroyer. It's starting to fall. It's turned sideways. They're barely hanging on. The Millennium Falcon pulls up. They jump onto the back of the Millennium Falcon. They even go as far as to show a close-up of them just climbing across the top of it and not get in. And then the Millennium Falcon takes off and goes straight up. So they would have fallen (laughs) off of the top of the Millennium Falcon. What the shit is that? Because they were on a green uh. screen stage. <laughs> At least yeah. show them like opening a hatch yes, or something. Exactly. But they weren't. They were just walking across the top. You even could have done nostalgic fan service of Lando going up in the lift of the Millennium Falcon where we went to get Luke at the end of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Going to get them and bring them inside if they wanted to. But yeah, that was stupid. But yeah, I didn't like the space horses and the whole on top of that thing. But yeah. I was fine with it because I thought it was a cool scene. Don't think too much, man. Stop thinking so much. Just enjoy the ride. (laughs) Enjoy the horsey ride? (laughs) I quit. Next character that I hate. Unless you had something else. No, no, go ahead. Bamunt Kin is his full name. People are like, who the hell is that guy? The dude from Lost or other people might know him from Lord of the Rings. Dominic Montague or something like that. Uh, Monahan is his name. Who cares? He's the blonde-haired guy with the mustache and goatee. He's the guy who uh, I I complained about earlier, the exposition of when Palpatine comes back, he's the one who says cloning and dark secrets that only Mm -hmm. the Sith knew. He also gets other exposition of, hey, let's pull some hondo maneuvers, hondo maneuvers. He gets a bunch of, like, dumb lines, and I don't like that actor very much anyway but the other thing that bothers me it's another one of jj abrams stunt casting it's a friend of jj abrams who was in lost which was fucking horrible i hate you jj he made a bet with jj abrams over a soccer match and jj said if i lose i'll put you in the movie and that's why that guy's in the movie and he gets multiple scenes and multiple lines of dialogue i am calling you out (gasps) right now okay the very beginning, when we started this podcast, yes, we said it's okay to be a hater as long as you're not hating on a specific person, and you just called out and said you hated J.J. Abrams. Yes. And you need to apologize, sir. No. I'm being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to be a hater. Don't be a dick. I have to admit, I'm kind of being a dick. I don't hate J.J. Abrams the person. 
I greatly dislike his creative outputs. Okay, that's better. Yeah. As a person, he seems like a wonderful human being, and I wish him nothing but the best. But please go away and stop making movies and TV shows. <laughs> I like him. I, I like what he does. I think it looks great. Yeah, the storytelling isn't complex and super whatever, but if Michael Bay can be successful, J.J. Abrams can be successful. Well, I really can't argue with that logic. <laughs> They're both terrible. But I'm they sure. make things that look cool. Yes. And there's a market for things that just look cool. Oh, yeah. Michael Bay, let, let's just blow shit up. Yeah, let, cool, pointless Some, action. Sometimes you want to just sit back and watch things blow up. Yes. That character, I guess it didn't bother, because I don't know the backstory. I don't have the J.J. Abrams baggage that you carry around all the time. Can't believe it doesn't destroy your back the, how much you carry that. But, yeah, I, I don't know that backstory. So that character didn't bother me. And even that line of the only things that Sith know. I actually don't know that I even paid attention to that line. Any of the times I saw the movie, I just I think I was looking at something else and just that character blended into the background to me as just kind of like, oh, that guy looks familiar. And that's all I ever thought about that character. So I don't I don't have that baggage. It's just like Snap Wexley, the other J.J. Yeah. Abrams stunt casting. It's He's sometimes referred to as J.J.'s good luck charm. He puts that guy in everything. To me, that guy is, hey, that guy from Heroes. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, he's in like, everything jj does he loves that guy i think he dies in this movie actually i think his ship goes down and he crashes into one of the destroyers but i mean i don't have any problem with him i mean he was in he also was in some of the carrie fishers like he is actually that guy is actually one of the most cringeworthy carrie fisher scenes the whole tell me good news scene yeah that that was like oh that seems like you're really he was to... the only good part of that scene i thought but yeah but it's like, <laughs> it was like this scene could have been cut this was an example of there wasn't enough unused dialogue to put together a scene that yeah that could have that was one of the painful carrie fisher scenes i'd also like to say i don't reusing the same actors and multiple things that you do i actually really like that if you've got somebody that you work well with mm -hmm. bring them along put them in the other things because you know how to work together he knows how to work with them. They know how to work with him. They've got that relationship. It works. Keep it working as long as they can do what needs to be done. Yeah, I have no problem with that. I just wish we, again, spend less time with, again, new characters like that and spend more time with the existing characters. Again, this th these things I'm complaining about didn't break the movie. It's just like I would have rather have spent more time with existing characters. Why are you looking at me weird? It's coming from the same guy that keeps saying, make the universe bigger. And now yes. you're saying condense it down to something no. smaller. No, make the universe bigger. But if you're going to have new characters, have them be meaningful. Have them actually contribute to a part of the story. But they establish these, especially that character in particular, that Beardo McGee. <laughs> I don't remember what his name is. <laughs> the good luck charm guy? Yeah. Snap Wexley. Yeah, that one. Like, they, they spent, I guess he was in the previous movie, too. He was in, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's been in all so, three. So he, he's been in them, and they're establishing, hey, here's this kind of side character that we're putting him in just enough that you kind of care a little bit, and then he dies to kind of show, hey, there's consequences. Th people are really dying in this battle. So Yeah, not much for consequences, but yeah. Some people have argued that instead of some of these new characters in the small parts, because that's the other thing, too, is like the, the characters I'm complaining about are not in the movie very much. Some people have argued that that screen time and, and maybe some of that dialogue should have went to Rose. I would have been like, give it to Carrie Fisher's daughter. Yeah. If you're going to have some extra... That I do. If there's anybody I wish had more screen time, it's her. Yes. So let her have more of a role in the movie. If you need someone at the Resistance base to say stuff, 
Let her be the one who does that. As far as the other internet clamoring about things, I don't really care what they have to say. (laughs) And my last character, again, the one that bothers me the least because I do like the actor, but a Legion General Pride. It's not bad, but it's like, you know what? We just needed some generic guy to be in charge of the military of the First Order. We had Hux. Just use Hux. We didn't need another guy. No, we did. We needed somebody that was loyal to the Emperor. Did we? Hux and his character would not have followed the Emperor. His whole thing was he wanted control for himself because he was a bratty, selfish child. He wouldn't have followed. Well, then why was he following Snoke? Because Snoke had power over him. Snoke could kill him. Same reason he ended up following Kylo Ren, because if he didn't, he was dead. And that was kind of goes into this whole thing. I'm surprised you haven't brought it up yet. I'm sure you probably will about, and a lot of people have problems with it. When he says that, I don't care if, if you guys win. I just need Kylo Ren to lose. Yeah, that was the explanation for why he was the traitor, because yeah. that seemed very uncharacteristic for the character that's been established more in the, in the supporting canon material, not so much the movies. Especially the guy who gave his big speech in The Force Awakens before they fire from Starkiller Base. That was the explanation for why he would be a turncoat. I would have thought that it might have been more interesting for that guy to maybe try to be doing more things behind the scenes. Like maybe he was working with the stormtroopers who were defecting to try to lead a, a coup against Kylo. Given intel to the resistance. See, I think I don't know the other material. So to me, what I've gathered from him from the movies was he wasn't really that smart. To me, he was a bratty kid that things were handed to and he felt like he should be in charge because he's supposed to be, not because he really should be. Well, again, he's only in one novel, but in the novels that establish what happens between Endor and Jakku, the basically last end of the Empire, and then the First Order goes running off to hide to build up to come back. He's in that series of books and we meet him. He's He's young. He's a kid. His father is the imperial guy who is the brainwasher who breaks children's minds and turns them into stormtroopers. And he's in that book as there's a bunch of other kids that have gone through his father's brainwashing and they're fucking psychotic fucking killers and it freaks out other members of the First Order. And he kind of makes a deal with the other people in the First Order. It's like, I'll be the one that you can deal with because I'm not as fucking psycho as these other people. So he's actually been around since the very beginning of the First Order. And he's actually was established, or you can imagine that he would have been someone that a lot of people underneath Supreme Leader Snote would have been very comfortable with Hux. But I don't want to go off on a big, long tangent because I don't know. I, I, like, <laughs> <Too late. laughs> I, like, I like the actor, Dom Hall Gleason, who plays him. Yeah. And, and those two actors, the guy who plays uh, Allegiant General Pride and Dom Hall Gleason said a lot of their scenes got cut. They actually filmed a lot of scenes together, and it was actually mm-hmm. going to be a little bit more to the whole Hux thing and what we saw, and they, it just got left behind on the cutting room floor for time. But again, I, I didn't really have that much of a problem with him becoming him being the traitor. And- I just know a lot of people did. But to me, I just the way that I saw the Hux character, I don't see him going, oh, the Emperor's back. I will follow him because he is the Emperor. I would see him being going, you are a relic of the past and you are no longer relevant. I am in charge. It begs the question, though, how much of the entire First Order would feel that way again? Because we never really got a, a, right. enough of an explanation of Snote was being puppeted by Palpatine. But how much did any of the First Order really know that they were really working for Palpatine? So you would think Oh, that, none. Zero. I mean, that's why you would think that a lot of people 
I mean, even Kylo Ren wanted to kill the Emperor at the but that, beginning of the but movie. But that's, that's exactly my point, though. Without Pride, who is high up, you know, general, without him going, no, we're loyal to the Emperor, they wouldn't have followed. And maybe that's some of those scenes that those actors talked about getting cut. Maybe more of that yeah. dynamic of the Because that's the other thing that was a little bit missing from this movie was... It was, was rushed. It was rushed, but it's like, would everyone really be okay with Supreme Leader Kylo Ren? Because he was kind of a fucking loose cannon, fucking having temper tantrums all the time. Again, we didn't spend a lot of time with Snoke. Snoke was in control, but it's like, you would have thought that a lot of people would have been uncomfortable with Ren, with Kylo Ren being in charge. Earlier, I heard the nerds screaming because you said uh, the Hondo maneuver. Instead of the Holdo maneuver. Yeah. Yes. Completely different character. <laughs> I did that in our speculation of Skywalker episode as well. I called it the Hondo maneuver, and it's it's like, yep, that's a really cool character from the Clone Wars and Rebels animated series. Yeah, not Holdo, Admiral Holdo, who did the Holdo maneuver in Last Jedi. Right. Yes, I've made that mistake multiple times. I I, I just didn't want to get my head bitten off by a nerd. <laughs> no, nerds are friendly. They don't do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Says the nerd that's been screaming into a microphone for two hours. Two hours? Like 15 plus episodes. <laughs> and that concludes part two of our three-part series about the third movie in the third Star Wars trilogy. Part three will include what is left of my list of bad things about the movie, my list of a few things I think that are ugly about the movie, and then our metaphorical ratings and final thoughts. So be sure to tune in next week for the third and final part of our epic series about Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. I don't know what all this trouble is about, but I'm sure it must be your fault. Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating, write a review, Reach out to us on Twitter at FanboyAndHater. Email us at TheFanboyAndTheHater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, FanboyAndHater.Podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.